is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Biggest concern about vaccine mandates for certain workers is that people opposed to them will quit or let themselves be fired. That would leave companies dealing with shortages difficult to fill, but maybe the threats were empty. YouTube says it's getting serious about stopping anti-vaccine information. L.A. is the next big city set to approve, maybe, some indoor vaccine mandates. If it's approved, what do the restaurants do? You have to hire somebody else to check all this stuff? Is it going to be hard to screen everybody? But we start with the vaccine mandate bluffs. Brian Ping and I talked to Alexander Alonso, chief knowledge officer for the Society for Human Resource Management. We asked if he was seeing the same thing we have. Not too many people actually quitting. When we started looking at this, and we uh, to any kind of mandate being put in place, and we learned that about 28% of Americans said they'd walk from their jobs if required to have or, or take the, the vaccine. And in fact, what we've seen out today is of that original 28%, only 2% have actually left their jobs. And so while people say that you know they, they were strongly ardent against it, we've seen that for the most part, vaccine mandates and or other programs like changing people's uh, testing protocols, changing the way that people uh, uh, think about their insurance uh, premiums has really had an impact in terms of uh, having people take on the vaccine. Well, they first get that news and they're like, you know, this is an outrage. Why are they telling me to do all this? And I I stand against it. And then it comes down to crunch time and they're like, oh, my goodness, we're talking about my loss of income, my way of life, my whole career that I've built up. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a boatload of pressure. And what ends up happening is we, we, we saw two forces at, at work against one another. One is that you saw people actually, you know, start to believe that the vaccine might actually have an impact. People around them started to take the vaccine and that had some sort of impact. And then the second factor is exactly what you described. And our data suggests that about 78% of Americans are uh, able to support themselves for about three months in terms of their financial reserves. So if you think about that, we, most Americans only have about three months of financial reserves and are able to carry themselves. So if, if you start to weigh that out and say to yourself, take a needle a couple times or, or you know, lose my job and not have any financial security, a lot of people are going to make the decision for financial security. Yeah, and the big one is is obviously lose a job, you know, take a shot or quit. But you mentioned some other things a minute ago that are interesting here. It becomes harder for you for these companies that have the policies that say stay and remain unvaccinated, but your insurance premiums, but weekly tests. I mean, some people, they either really hate the brain scratcher uh, swab or maybe they're made to pay for it every week. And that's something that's not going to happen for them. Yeah, we're seeing it across the board. In fact, a, a good number of organizations, we, we saw them jump from 2% to 19% in terms of vaccine mandates. But we've also seen a lot of programs kind of pop up. And this is purely anecdotal, but we see them over and over again, and we track them. And that's programs like helping, requiring individuals to wear masks that are not provided for by the by the organization to get tested up to three and four times a week, not provided for by the organization or paid for by insurance. And then the other one that we're seeing and that's very popular is the one that we've all heard about from Delta Airlines, which is the the premium surcharge. And we've seen a, a, a whole host of about ten percent of the the larger organizations start to go down that path where they're charging individuals. Uh, a surcharge on their premiums, in large part because those organizations are self-funded in terms of their their insurance uh, programs. Now, the, the kicker there is what they're also doing is mitigating the risk by saying, if somebody were to be hospitalized for this, we're going to go ahead and mitigate the risk by helping having them pay more than other members of the organization in terms of the insurance. 
Uh, the refrain we hear, Alexander, is you don't like the rule, you can go work somewhere else. You're free to do that. But if we reach a critical mass of potential employers out there and they all require these mandates, then do we get into a little bit more you know, authority, <laughs> uh, you know, philosophical territory there? There's nowhere that the unvaccinated are left to go? Uh, we will find ourselves in that position. In fact, what's what's intriguing about that is that we're now starting to see first and foremost, individuals at listing that they are looking for people who are vaccinated. And to date, there is no guidance. In fact, the EEOC has no guidance whatsoever, neither does the Department of Labor or the OFCCP, around what it is that an employer can do. So as we, we exist today, employers are living in a free range, if you will, make basically able to choose people who are vaccinated over people who aren't. That really will put a crunch on that population that isn't vaccinated. We were talking earlier in the show with a doctor who was wondering, why isn't there more of the proof that you had COVID and recovered? Because you can still get your natural immunity for there. Is that just a hard thing for companies maybe to try and work out? I mean, testing is pretty cut and dry. Vaccine, here's your card. But you really have to have been to a doctor and that doctor has to know because, you know, I can attest that I had COVID all day long, but you're not going to know if I did. Well, the other thing is that the supply chain issue is much different. And in some states, what we're seeing is that employers are having a hard time getting all kinds of tests. And that includes the antigen test, which speaks to having the antibodies. And so if you think about that, employers don't want to involve themselves in that type of uh, policy or building that kind of policy. There are some employers who are willing to take that on, but not everybody's willing to take that on. And frankly, if I was an employer, I don't know that I'd want to go down that road. If we're going to see trouble, where do we start to see it? Is it in the law enforcement ranks and the firefighters where we do have these big discrepancies in people not wanting to get their vaccines in in these kind of critical areas? Well, the first place where we had some some particular fear was really around healthcare, right? Because healthcare providers are by far the front line and the one who's most likely to be uh, uh, impacted if they do have this. We we saw circuit court r- rulings this week that said basically that y- you have the right to go seek employment elsewhere, but you don't have the right to not be vaccinated in hospitals and in in, in care facilities. So we know that uh, the, for the most part, federal courts are falling in line and sticking to uh, what is the emergency authorization across the the, the pandemic. The big place where we'll start to see other issues, though, is as you described with first responders who aren't necessarily entrusted in care and aren't exposed to the, the, the disease. However, we hear this over and over again about these little pockets and these one or, or two examples of tens and fifteens and maybe a thousand here or a thousand there. But what I will share with you is the bigger fear is if a unionized group comes in as a whole and says, we don't want to do this. That's when you have a real labor issue. And to date, what we've seen is labor uh, labor unions are taking the stance that safety is more important than actually uh, uh, creating a class action around people who are not vaccinated. So, uh, so far, we're seeing people toe the line for safety. Alexander Alonzo, Chief Knowledge Officer, the Society for Human Resource Management. Thanks. YouTube says it's going to yank anti-vaccine misinformation on the platform. Is it going to do any good? Has the bad info already spread wide and far? Jessica Galani, media studies professor, University of Pittsburgh at Greensburg. Brian and I asked her, what's going on with YouTube right now? I think that the changes that YouTube has issued today reflect them anticipating the upcoming vaccines for children for coronavirus. And by trying to make sure that there's less vaccine conspiracies in general on the platform, it allows them to have a little bit more of a say about how this new public health initiative will land. 
All right, so Jessica, some of this stuff is easy to pick out. I mean, they're not going to microchip you or anything like that with these shots. Anything that espouses that, you can clean that out pretty easily. You don't but, have 5G in your shoulder right, now. Yeah, <laughs> but, then, but then you're getting to some stuff where, well, the jury might still be out about this. So at times it could get a little tricky, perhaps, in, uh, in cleaning some of this content. That's true. It will be interesting to see how active their moderating hand is. It's easy for them to see the biggest influencers and take down those channels and those accounts. But in terms of more everyday content that may be posted that might fly under the radar, I'm not sure how, um, you know, how effective that moderation will be. And Facebook did something similar back in February of this year And I think we all can see that there's still certainly a place for a lot of those uh, conspiracies to be able to circulate in spite of their efforts to try to stamp them out. Yeah. Have they given a pretty clear cut and dry list of what's going to fly and what's not? I mean, if it's like my personal testimonial of how it went for me or side effects or whatever, maybe that's okay. But if I get on there and I make a video that says this is going to screw up your health forever or this doesn't even work. Well, then again, those are things that are pretty clear about saying uh, you can't you can't spread that kind of info because it's it's not correct. Yes, I think it will definitely depend on the scale and scope of influence in some cases. Uh, In addition to the content, it will appear on their radar more readily if it's something that has gone viral, if it's if it's, you know, a testimonial that's individual, but that gets a lot of traction and ends up furthering broader uh, conspiracies. I could see them making a decision to remove that content as well. What if it is a third-party poster, like it's a, you know, some news outlet or some blogger who might have a recording of a very influential person like an athlete or a celebrity uh, you know, saying this information about vaccines, but they post it saying, well, we think this is newsworthy that this important person is saying that. Does that get scrubbed too? You know, it's really going to... Uh, It's really not clear yet exactly how that will be. The announcement only came today. So their instrumentation and implementation of these new requirements will follow, I think, with time. And and we'll get to see how it works as it's happening. But as far as I know, they didn't issue very clear um, information about what exactly will be taken down. And I, I do think that it will depend on, you know, the, the subject matter at hand. How big is it that some of these channels for the prominent anti-vaxxers have been taken down? You were mentioning Facebook earlier, and look, you run the disinformation lab, so you know, but there were stories going around about how many it takes to actually spread the bulk of the information. You know, there can be like six huge accounts that make up, and, and I'm probably totally wrong on these numbers, but 80% of the disinformation or something like that, and they've they've looked at that before, but a large percentage can come from just a few people because it, they have so much reach, and then it spreads all across the internet. Uh, yes, it it can be the case. And as it was shown in a recent study of Facebook, that a very small number of accounts can have tremendous amounts of reach and influence. And the reality is that, you know, these platform companies are private corporations. They can decide what they want to allow to fly on their on their platforms. And just because someone has established a very influential voice and has a lot of followers doesn't mean that they get necessarily, you know, to continue to have that platform through which to amplify their voices. So I do think it will be a very big deal that some of the most influential figures in this um, this kind of activism 
will no longer have YouTube as a portal through which to bolster their arguments. Are we looking at that possible uh, slippery slope, though, Je- uh, Jessica, when we could this could branch out into just any number of controversial issues, like somebody says something about gun control that the majority of the public doesn't agree with, but, you know, do, do they get uh, pushed off the system? And would it possibly be less controversial of an action to simply flag uh, videos that uh, are shown to have this this false content and so let people judge for themselves? You know, I I think that there's not a major risk of it being a slippery slope because this is something that that YouTube has already been doing when it comes to COVID-19 misinformation and conspiracies. And I I don't think that it's going to wind up applying to other subjects of political debate. I think that it is the case that they are a private corporation. And while we do have a right to the freedom of speech, we don't necessarily have uh, that doesn't translate into a right to YouTube as a place to host our views. So I don't foresee it being a slippery slope, but I also think that because they're a private corporation, it's within their purview to make decisions about what content they will allow. I wonder if the casual observer now won't run into some of this while they're clicking around because it'll be gone. But the, you know, hardcore anti-vaxxers, they always have somewhere else to go, right? A website or a blog or there's these telegram groups that, that spread the stuff. You can take some of this off the big networks, but it can always jump to a smaller one. Sure, that that is definitely the case. But I think in terms of the recruitment function of some of these channels and, and some of these arguments, that will you know be a big difference maker. And if you are only speaking to an audience that already agrees with you, you're not going to be able to scale and grow. Yeah, because we're talking about YouTube, and let's be honest, I mean, they have just that vast majority of viewership going in. So uh, what it does matters on, on this issue. And, uh, yeah, there's there's the other channels people can go to, but you're not going to get nearly the exposure that you would on someplace like YouTube. Yes, exactly. Jessica Galani, Associate Professor, Communication, University of Pittsburgh, member of the Pitt Disinformation Lab. L.A. could vote next week to approve a new indoor vaccine mandate. Lots of public places. you got to show proof of vaccine to go into restaurants, bars, movie theaters, gyms, get your hair cut. You know the drill. What problems could arise? Dr. Jeffrey Klosner, epidemiologist and clinical professor of preventative medicine at USC's Keck School of Medicine. Brian and I asked him about how clear this policy should be. Right. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. And this is a very important issue um, in terms of uh, vaccination verification. Uh, Some people call them vaccine passports, but they don't really allow you to travel uh, outside the United States. They're really not passports. They are verification systems. Um, They allow people who are self-exempted to uh, self-attest with uh, some documentation that they have firmly held religious beliefs or they have a a medical exemption, but the devil is going to be in the details. So how are this going to be implemented? How will it be enforced? Uh, There are proposed fines. So um, LA city, uh, you know, could have secret shoppers uh, going around. And if uh, the first time there's a violation and uh, it's not checked, um, that's a a warning. And, but the second time there's a thousand dollar fine goes up up to a $5,000 fine. So that can be pretty stiff particularly for uh, small businesses. But I think one of the big gaps, though, is that uh, the policy does not recognize immunity from prior infection. And now we have very good data that says that people who have recovered, their immunity from infection is uh, equal 
or better. The study from Israel showed that people had better immunity if they recovered from infection than if they were vaccinated. So maybe some work to do on that front. If there's no test out option, if you can prove, if your doctor can prove that you've recovered, that works too. And and you mentioned the secret shopper thing, which I think is interesting, because if they're going to be this strict, you have to be crystal clear, right, as to who this is for, where and how it's going to work. And, And it can be done, San Francisco, New York, but this would go further. I mean, there's more retail in this one. It's not just restaurants and bars. Right. I mean, it definitely can be done. I mean, I've been to, you know, the Greek, I've been to the Ford uh, in the past two, three weeks. And uh, each time I've entered, you know, they've uh, requested to see verification of vaccination. There are good digital tools now. Uh, Healthvana has worked with LA County and Healthvana came out with an excellent, you know, digital tool, which shows your card. It goes in your Apple wallet or your, um, you know, Google uh, phone. Uh, so there are ways to make this happen, but ultimately it's going to be on the onus of the business owners or their staff to verify people's vaccine. Oh, well, let's talk about that uh, gap that you mentioned about people who have the natural immunity and it's been shown to be just as good as the vaccine. Uh, you know, a lot of people have to be sold on that still. And if so, uh, would maybe an antibody test, a proof of that to be uh, sufficient? Because there was so much talk about the antibody test early in the pandemic to show that uh, you already had some degree of immunity. Should we talk about that a little bit more? Well, I I think that immunity after prior infection, that would fit into the medical exemption. So uh, as a physician who sees patients, to me, that is a bona fide medical exemption. So if I know my patient has uh, suffered COVID-19, it's been verified through either, you know, a positive PCR, positive antigen, or, you know, after recovery, they have demonstrable antibodies, I know that that person was infected and that, you know, should be considered a bona fide medical exemption. And that would actually, you know, diffuse a lot of the tension, a lot of the tension now between municipal workers, LAPD, LAFD and other groups are saying, hey, you know, we suffered. We were essential workers. We were on the front line. We got infected and we don't want to get vaccinated. And uh, now you're mandating to us, well, the science says our immunity is just as good as someone who's been vaccinated. Yeah, different too when your doctor knows rather than just everybody assuming that they had it at some point or another. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, epidemiologist, clinical professor of preventative medicine, USC Keck School of Medicine. Short break, and then coming up, are the restaurants ready to enforce these vaccine mandates? If LA's vaccine mandate becomes official, uh, assuming it passes, right, what's going to be expected of the businesses? How will they check for proof of people coming in? Brian and I talked to the owners of Pez Cantina in downtown LA, Brett Thompson and Lucy Thompson Ramirez, asking if they are ready to start enforcing these mandates. I mean, as it, as it isn't hard enough to run a restaurant as it is right nowadays. <laughs> Um, you know, it's definitely going to certainly gonna be challenging. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is, you know, uh, you know, it, if we ask for it, you know, what is the reaction going to be from the guests? Uh, you know, are they going to want to put it, uh, give, give us, provide the, the, uh, the vaccination uh, result? Um, I think it poses a lot of challenges. I mean, putting the, the burden of, of the, of checking the vaccination uh, cards on the operator, in my opinion, it's, it's just a very, very tough thing to do. Uh, as it already is, it's hard to get people in the restaurant just with, you know, things, uh, you know, the, the climate of, of the restaurant atmosphere as it is right now. So it's definitely going to pose a challenge. Are, are we going to have bouncers at every establishment uh, just looking for vaccine <laughs> cards like they would IDs? That's, that's exactly the problem. We're, 
Yeah, we're we're a family restaurant, so we have families coming in. It's not like we have a door guy checking IDs and then at the same time checking for proof of vaccination. Uh, you know, I'm a believer in the vaccine. I think it's great. Should the operators be policing this? I just think it's a it's a big burden to put on the operators as it is. We're having a hard time getting staff, and now we'll have to employ somebody else just to check for vaccinations. I just feel like it's a bit much to put on the small businesses. Well, well listen, let me ask you about that, because is it the challenge you think in, in checking, or is the challenge in the few people that maybe actually fight you on this, and then it becomes this whole big thing? I mean, I was I was in France a couple of weeks ago, and they have the, the passport system, and it's right on the phone, so maybe it's different here, because people bring, bring in their paper cards, or maybe they'll show you the app, or whatever it is, but sometimes you sat down at the table, and the waiter came and poured the water, and then just said, hey, do you have your thing? Or other times, there was like an A-frame outside, it said, wait here for just a minute, we'll come get you. Uh, and then we'll scan your card there. I mean, you've got a host or a hostess, maybe they could do some of that. So is it the checking, really, or is it someone is going to put up a fight and then it's going to be a big scene, and that's not what you're trying to have at a family restaurant? Yeah, it's, it's maybe a combination of both. Um, we've been fortunate to, uh, with, with with our clientele, when, when we have the mask mandate and everybody who's coming inside, everyone seems to be very cooperative, and we haven't had any issues with that. So I imagine asking people for it shouldn't be a problem, but I, I think it's more just putting the the enforcement on the operator that makes it a little bit more challenging. I I I don't know. Maybe it might be easier if we if if it was controlled in, in a different format and not not thrown on the operator. We're not just talking patrons of these establishments. We're also talking about people who have to work there, and they've got to have the vaccine uh, to work. And, uh, Brett, it's hard enough for people anywhere in the hospitality industry, especially restaurants, to find good quality help nowadays. And this just, uh, would you say, adds to that burden? Yeah, you hit you hit the nail around the head. I mean, it's, it is so tough. I was just talking with uh, one of our associates earlier. It's like, where is everybody? Where are all the restaurant employees? It's really bizarre. And to... I mean, I'll, I'll be really honest with you. I think now a lot more of the restaurant employees are vaccinated. But when this started getting, when this was started being discussed uh, a couple of months ago, you know, we were like, look, if we mandate that our that our uh, staff have their vaccines before they come back to work, I don't even know if we have enough staff that can even, you know, uh, support the restaurant. So um, it's definitely a tough call. And uh, you know, I I personally don't feel comfortable you know, require uh, mandating that my staff have their vac- their vaccine. If they don't have the vaccine, if they choose not to, you know, that's just, it's a, I know it's a very personal point of view, but I just feel that, look, this is a personal choice. If you don't want to have your vaccine, you need to wear a face mask. You need to continue washing your hands, using hand sanitizer, and making sure that you're abiding by, you know, the health department rules. But uh, it's a really, really tough call. And it's definitely a new a new problem, a new decision, new challenge that we have to deal with as restaurant operators on top, on top of everything else. Brett Thompson, Lucy Thompson-Ramirez, co-owners of Pez Cantina in downtown L.A. Thanks to you both. Did you get your booster? Pfizer shots, the booster shots, have been available for less than a week so far here in the U.S. Already 400,000 people have gotten them. White House says most of those were given over the weekend. Nearly a million people having scheduled appointments to get their third shot. Boosters available for the crowd 65-plus, those living in long-term care facilities, other adults in certain jobs or with certain underlying conditions. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.